For the first time in 11 years, the city of Sydney has two NBL clubs to cheer for. And tonight, Fox Sports has the historic debut of the West Sydney Razorbacks. To make it a double for the road teams here. Really takes Traher on, got some space and then drops the first points in the history of the new West Sydney Razorbacks. This is as close as it has been since the first four minutes. Fold it inside wide, puts it in front for the first time since the opening quarter. How can you believe it? He has really feeling it for the moment. Drops it on Oh, he salutes the crowd. And it's a four-point lead for the Razorbacks. Extraordinary scenes here at the Kingdom. First we won. 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 Hello, everybody, and welcome. It is NBL Rewind. Of course, you at home can get involved. Hashtag NBL Rewind. And if you've watched the game, the West Sydney Razorbacks' first ever game in the NBL v the Sydney Kings, get involved right now. If you haven't, you've got to get involved. It's a great game right now. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Twitch, NBL TV, all the ways you get your NBL content. This is always going to be fun going back to watch this Razorbacks team. And it was a fun crew to watch for a number of years, Liam Santa Maria. This was a cool game. Great game. First game of the Razorbacks. Big win over the uh, the local rivals, the Kings. Lee Carlson, our man JR, Ziggy Mazabo, yeah. Nelly hanging on the rim. Mm-hmm. Had everything. It, it did. It was the best way to start. And I'm not sure if everyone will know this, but we are joined by John Rilly, legend, NBL, of course, but the first ever bucket getter in Razorbacks history as well. JR, welcome to NBL Rewind. Thanks, fellas, and a uh, pleasure to join you guys on the you know great occasion for that club. Do you, do you remember? And I'm not sure if you've watched the game back yet, but do you remember the first bucket? Uh, I, I know I did score it, but I think I allowed my teammates each to have a crack before uh, I took my opportunity. And uh, yeah, I, I look, one of those things in uh, great trivia question, I do certainly remember that. <laughs> Spun away from Trujillo and hit the little 15 foot fadeaway, just uh, 45 next to the foul line. But you're right. You, you, you eased into the game the first minute or two and then went whack. It had a nice start and it was a great, it was an intense game to the start, which I guess we should have expected Sydney v Sydney. Yeah, look, uh, Razorbacks kind of put together a team. It was, I guess, some type of cast of characters, some misfits. And we, we <laughs> played up to that mantra, you know, because Sydney Kings were, you know, the Beach Boys, the, you know, everyone in town, that's who they wanted to be, uh, uh, you know, known for. Uh, so with that game, uh, it was a great opportunity for us, but I think we actually went in with uh, probably not sure what to expect because what, as you go down the roster, guys just come from all over the place and there wasn't too much previous unity with any of the players. So, uh, And then, you know, the franchise player at the time, Derek Rucker, didn't play in the game. So all the lead up was, you know, how do we keep, you know, how will they stop Rucker? Derek will be the face of the club and then he doesn't play. So... Uh, I, I think that was probably something leading into the game that uh, people forget. And Kings probably built up a lot around Derek as well. I feel, you just mentioned Derek not playing there. I feel like we cannot go three minutes into talking about this game without giving Lee Carlson a massive shout yeah. out. Because I can, I can really remember watching this game. I was 17 in the lounge room and I was... What? Oh, is it, I'll tell you what. This is what happens. He gets excited, JR, and he kicks out his microphone. It happens every NBL overtime, NBL, NBL rewind. You know he's genuinely, passionately excited. Cam. His microphone. There you go. Our tech, our tech guys need to get me a new microphone. I don't know what's happening. <laughs> I was saying, I can remember what this game, 
riding the emotional Lee Carlson train because the yeah. young fella was living out my dream. He's like, a, he's out here. It's the first game of the season. He's now, he's the backup point guard, but all of a sudden he's now starting. And boy, he was big time. Yeah, look, the, the one thing with, with Lee is he'd been around Gordy before uh, when Gordy was at the IAS in his junior days. Uh, so they had, a, they had like nearly like a father-son relationship. Uh, and then Derek, once he knew he wasn't playing, he got a good, did a good job of trying to install confidence in Lee um, because it was the big stage and a big moment for mm. him. And as you said, like he, he took the opportunity and ran with it and uh, had a very serviceable career f- uh, following that. Do you remember Nelly hanging on the rim? Oh, of course. I, I'm not too uh, bashful in reminding of it every now and then as well. <laughs> I, I step back. You've obviously won a championship at Adelaide. And then we've spoken a lot about Southeast Melbourne Phoenix in the last sort of 12 months, putting together a crew and how, how hard it is as a professional sports team, basketball or otherwise, to kickstart a franchise and put together a really competitive unit. I think they did a good job. But I think the Razorbacks did a brilliant job back in, in the late 90s in this part. Do you remember the decisions, the conversations about leaving Adelaide and, and joining this new team that, of course, always has uncertainty around it? Yeah, uh, look, I, I stayed at Adelaide when Phil Smythe took over as the head coach. Uh, but I remember distinctly Phil Smythe, once he got the job, calling me and said, look, if you want to leave Adelaide, you're more than welcome to leave Adelaide. But... Uh, you know, I knew Adelaide was going to be a good team. I guess it, part of the the competitive nature of me, I wanted to stay and win Phil over or show him that what he thought of me as a player was was not quite exactly it. Um, but then, obviously, the Razorbacks being a new franchise, that become attractive to me, uh, just where I was at the stage of my career, uh, trying to uh, get on on the national team and, you know, but my own personal aspirations, I guess, won out. And and you can do that once you've won a championship um, mm. and so forth. Um, but then, you know, Robbie Kadee and, and uh, Gordy McLeod did a great job of uh, constructing the roster for a, like a first up team. Uh, you know, Derek is obviously, uh, you know, an illustrious career in the NBL. Bruce Bolden was trying to be reinvigorated because he kind of slipped off at the Kings or where the Kings saw him in the picture. Uh, myself and Simon Dwight, both younger guys trying to uh, make their mark in the league. And then uh, really just a bunch of other young guys at Gordy McLeod, uh, you know, had some type of association with through his junior career. And it, it come together very well. You talk about Ernest Zigamazabo. Uh, he kind of just was the right guy to fit in with our group at that point in time. And, uh, you know, I remember to the day, like everyone was so, the young guys were so enamored with Derek and Bruce. And, um, you know, I, I come in and I had to try and loosen the, uh, the mood a little bit because, uh, these guys are just like, look at Derek and Bruce in awe. And I'm like, come on, fellas, like, you got to, you got to give me a little something here. Like, you know, Derek's not worried about Tina Arena anymore. You shouldn't be either, you know? <laughs> um, Jay, I can mention Southeast Melbourne Phoenix before. Um, this game reminded me of their first game in so many ways yeah. at the start of the season, right? Against the Crosstown yeah. rivals, not supposed to win at all. I remember at the end of that game, Tommy, the big smile on Tommy Greer's face. At the end of this game, Gordy McLeod running onto the floor and jumping all over. I don't know who it was. Got all over somebody. What were the emotions like at the, at the end of this particular win? 
Yeah, like once you get together, uh, obviously when teams get together in the off season, you talk about playoffs and, you know, sometimes you might get a little ahead of yourself instead of figuring out like we're a new franchise, let's take baby steps. Mm. Obviously, once we knew we were playing the Kings, that really become nearly like we attacked it like a championship game because, you know, it was our way of trying to show Sydney there's another team to get on board with us. Um, and, and, you know, the work that Robbie and Gordy would have put in for the years beforehand, getting a franchise up and running, um, you know, I don't know how many hours they would have put into making that happen, but it's a, it's a thankless and tireless job. And for them to see that come to fruition and in a win against the Crosstown, you could just feel the emotion and the passion that they'd put in. So it was a great, great thing to be a part of and see what can become of something when you have a goal and a dream with it all. How hard is it to keep? Because you actually were a fairly decent team. You had opportunities to make the playoffs late. I think the Kings beat you in the final round, which essentially probably almost ended it, although it was probably on a, uh, in a nice edge right before that. But at what yeah. point did, in this situation did you be like, you know what, right, I know we're underrated. We've put together this sort of motley crew, but we're kind, of, we're kind of okay. We've got an opportunity here to make some waves and, and make the playoffs, which would have been a huge effort. At what point did you be like, okay, now we change our little bit of our motto and our theory towards one week at a time and getting ourselves up for Kings games and actually having a crack at this thing and having some postseason action? Yeah, like, like for us, I think of Derek and Bruce had personal, uh, you know, pleasure in proving people wrong uh, where they were in their careers. Uh, Simon Dwight will go down as one of the greatest players, uh, you know, for sure, the greatest shot blocker. Um, so we had some good pieces. But as I said, because none of us had really been affiliated or associated with one another, we, it, we had to come together as a team. Um, so once that come together, we're, we're a good, good home team. Uh, just struggled a little bit on the road. Um, so, you know, we got to that stage, you know, you talk about when the playoffs, it, it, it was always a mathematical equation and, uh, you know, it just become tough, but we always had life for the season because we we're always around it. So I think that allowed us to come together in a, as a team, but, it, you know, like it, it becomes tough because every game becomes like a championship game. And it, when, when you're just trying to come together, that's, that's tough to, create that cohesion so quickly but um you know like we certainly had the talent and uh, our record probably showed on our night we were a tough out but we just didn't have that camaraderie at that point in time as i've always said liam if you're uh, if your home stadium is nicknamed the pig pen it really gives you an advantage of winning games at home i say <laughs> Oh, it, the the Whitlam's the Whit the Whitlam Center. Like I I love playing there. I I like practicing there. I I don't think even some of the guys like playing and practicing there. But it it was a distinct home court advantage. And uh, like I I just knew the minute an opposition team walked in there, they they were disappointed with like the locker room, <laughs> the the bent rim. <laughs> you know the fans and all of that kind of stuff so it, it was for sure a home court advantage and um you know when you're talking about making a miss in the playoffs any little bit of help you can get along the way he really helps you and like the whitlam center like i remember the one game like it was raining and there was drops coming through so the janitor at the whitlam center had like um nico pen x's on the court so when the ball went down to the other end he'd just do a quick swizzle of all the x's on the on the floor 
And uh, I actually want to say it was the Titans, but I just forget who we did play in that game. Like uh, the, the Mop Boy actually had the defensive player of the game for us because he was still out there. <laughs> Wasn't uh, Jason taking... Kitty? No, no, no. Jason was a lot smarter than that. Like he, he was a good rebounder and ball boy. He, he didn't go down to those lengths of being the Mop Boy. Um, the fact that you talk about how much you loved playing there kind of reflects to me a little bit about like who you were as a baller. Like you didn't, you're a gym rat, a gamer. Like you're just like, I don't need the glitz and the glamour of a, of a certain building. I just need a ball and a rim, even if it is bent and I'm going to go to work. Is that how kind of you would characterize yourself looking back? Yeah, and and you know we all we all have somewhere to call home or where it all started for us. Um, so coming from Toowoomba, um, you know, I my first ever practice was an out at an outdoor court. You know, so just to be playing the game was was enough for me. Like when I was at West Sydney in the off season, I lived out in out Liverpool Way, and there's a there's a rec center out there called Miller. Not necessarily the greatest neighborhood in the world, but I could play there Saturdays against uh, like every Asian nationality because the Filipinos had come in at 6 a.m. and then the Chinese guys and, you know, like you could just play there all day. And I was just happy to go down there and play in the off season. I'd go down uh, to the facility in the Harbour King George's, I think. Like I I'd just like to just go and play, I, you know, and that's the game itself is what, really I like to play and I'm playing to win wherever I'm playing or whoever I'm playing against. Yeah, I'm sure you had a great time with JR, but I'm sure when he's got like a 42-year-old accountant trying to have a shoot around on Saturday, John really walks in, it isn't his weekend. He should just pack it up and go home. <laughs> but like that, that was the beauty is like I wasn't yeah. this imposing character. So, you know, pe people were always, uh, hopefully I didn't piss people off too much. <laughs> JR, when you think back on the Razorbacks, right, you get 98 to 04, I think you were there. Um, two... Grand final appearances, oh, so close to hoisting the trophy. What is it? Do you, does it still feel like like a job not done? Do you look back on with pride on that period, on that era, or does that 04 grand final series in particular kind of rest in your mind? Yeah, for sure. Like uh, I haven't watched that game to this day. Um, because it was really a missed opportunity in my eyes. Uh, and I always reflect on game four. Like we had an opportunity to wrap it up on our home court. Uh, the game went into overtime. So we had our chance. Um, obviously, we had our chance in game five. But uh, the, in any form of sport, you got to take the opportunity when it's really there in front of you. And game four, the, we had the opportunity to wrap it up. When you lose a game four like that and you have an opportunity at home, goes to overtime and the title. How hard was it to back it up? And, and you did an incredible job, except for the last couple of minutes of, of game five. Like, <laughs> what was the feelings and the emotions without rubbing it in? But you did bounce back extremely well. How hard was it to be able to pick yourself up off the floor, get to the King Dome and play so well for so long? No, like, like we, besides game one of that series, like, like we took care of business the, the rest of the series, although the other four games ended up two and two. Um, we, we were just a team um, that we knew we were a good team. Um, and we just had this confidence that we didn't even talk about 
um, as a team, we, we really complemented each other really well in what everyone brought to the table. And, you know, we're a bunch of Aussie blokes just out there enjoying playing with each other and appreciating each other for who they are. Like Traher's probably the greatest example, like an unbelievable player, talented player, but copped a lot of flack over his career for not being as good as he should be or could have been or whatever. But um, like we knew who he was as a player. We knew we could rely on him in the big moments and we didn't expect him to be anything that he couldn't be. And that's how we were with each other. And I think that was why we were allowed to be successful, but we just, we just did not come up with the goods when really necessary. See, that, that's actually the thing that irks me about that game five result. And the Sydney Kings fans obviously love it and they enjoy going back and watching it. But you talk about Traher, you guys knew who he was as a player. I think the fact that you guys didn't close out that game five means that a lot of casual NBL observers, or as, as time passes, people don't realise how good you were as a player. Because you won a championship with Adelaide? Yes. But had yeah. you won that, had you closed that game out, you you had led that team to a title. And now when people, we spoke about to DMAC about this, about some guys like Tony Ronaldson and whatnot. Now when people put together like the best five or the second best five of all time in the NBL and it's, it's Drewy and it's Leroy and it's Ricky and it's uh, JC, it's often not you when in fact you belong in those conversations. Yeah, and, and look, uh, me, me as a player, like I, I have no no uh ill feel ill will or bad animosity if if you're discussing how what is greatness and if you're it's just purely on championships i had my chance and i didn't you know i was one for three in championship games but then if you just want to talk about statistics and all of that other stuff that makes great players yeah like I'll, 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 that's why in my playing career, I was always confident of, I didn't care who I played against. I, I never lost sleep a night before a game. I know plenty of guys lost sleep the night before they had to play me. Let's go back to the start. Uh, wonderful start to your NBL career, of course, rookie of the year. You know, when you're coming out of college and you're looking at where you want to play, I'm assuming that, in fact, did all NBL teams call you? Was everyone chasing you at the time? I had one offer. See, that's ridiculous. That, I find that to be ridiculous. I'm sure it might not happen in 2020 where there's a lot more exposure, I guess, to the collegiate system. But So you had one offer. So that, well, I guess in the end, it was an easy decision. Well, it was, but uh, it was an easy decision for the Bullets to like put a bad figure on it bad, all. Too. No leverage. Yep. <laughs> I can tell you, 17 and a half grand. Jeez, it would have been... Would have been paid more playing Saturday Arvo's against the accountant somewhere. Say, <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Hustling, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Sorry, go, go ahead. ahead. I was going to say, you come out rookie of the year. What would you remember about that season? Oh, man. The team we had at Brisbane and the experience we had on that team uh, really uh, taught me a lot about how to be a professional. Uh, we had Shane Hill, uh, Leroy Loggins, Mike Mitchell, uh, Robert Sibley like an, a young Andrew Goodwin, uh, Wayne Larkins, uh, Luke Gribble. Like, it, it was an experienced team, um, you know. So going from a college atmosphere where we had a great – like, college, I had a great experience where it was all for one, one for all type of deal. And then you go into a professional atmosphere, uh, you grow up pretty quickly. 
And then obviously well, the, the move to Adelaide, the championship. I want to fast forward a little bit. Yep. To something we skipped over with the West Sydney talk. We'll talk about that 2003 season where you come back from Greece midway through the year. <laughs> and then you go on to win the scoring title. Yep. Put 45 on the board in the final game to win yep. the scoring title by, what have I got here? Point one. The stat yep. man's locomotion has made sure I've got all the, the info. <laughs> <laughs> Did you have someone in your ear about where, where Chris Williams was at, what you needed to get? Not, not, not at all. And uh, I, I remember the game distinctly just because at shoot-around, I didn't know whether I could play because I was, I was pretty sick. Um, and yeah, it, look, I, I, I played and it was one of those things when you're sick, you, everything just seems to fall together a little, little more easier. And, you know, after the game, you know, I had a couple of teammates say, man, like you should add 50, you stop shooting, you know, all of that kind of stuff. And then I see Robbie Kiddy after the game and he goes, you knew it, didn't you? And I was like, Robbie, like what? And he goes, you've just beat Williams like by whatever it was, however many points for the scoring. And I had, I was oblivious because it was a disappointing year, you know, like disappointing for the Razorbacks, disappointing for me that year, you know, it was just a, uh, a year where nothing productive happened basketball wise in the way that I measure basketball. Um, but yeah, Robbie re reminded me and I had no idea. And, uh, it's probably like it's a great achievement to look back on now because I think I was the second Aussie to lead it in scoring behind Gaze. But like it was like a, it's it, at the time it was a hollow victory. Yeah, but Chris Williams was so good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I'll go back to you. Well, I'll go back to your comment then. Like, if you're saying that, and he couldn't win it, you know. Hey, at, so from there. You uh, after you finish up with the Pigs, move to Townsville. Yep. Um, there's a lot we need to kind of pull apart from your time with, with the Crocs. But what are your overarching memories of your uh, Townsville days? Oh, uh, for whatever reason, I really wanted to play with Rob Rose. And I did not know Rob, but I just thought for whatever reason, because I'd had teammates that have been teammates of Rob's and just, you know, his magic at the end of games and his, his ability to will his teams to win. And I was like, man, like where we both were in our career, we could probably really help each other and achieve some good things. Uh, we had a young Brad Newley coming on the scene, um, you know, so, and, and at the time it was hard to say, but something was changing at the Razorbacks and I could just feel that. And so that's where, you know, I was, I was uh, you know, I had my second child on the way. So, you know, I just had to do something that I felt was right for me. We probably be remiss of us if we don't talk about that. Uh, so Homicide, of course, former teammate of yours and of course, current teammate of Liam and I on NBL Overtime. He, he made us sit down about six weeks ago and watch that game in Perth. And then he said, as we all know, you dominated the game. So I think Homicide chose the wrong game, but uh, outstanding. <laughs> Um, just your time with, with Corey because we have a lot of fun with him uh, he's someone who obviously brings so much in so many different aspects and whatever role he's playing at the time be it as a pro basketballer or as in the media uh, your time with him up at Townsville oh man like as far as colourful teammates uh, I, I don't think that that's going to be hard to beat and I, I got to play with some colourful guys um, 
you know, but that like in saying that uh, his colorfulness, you know, probably was a positive, but it was also like a negative as well. Um, because, you know, he's a fantastic player, um, but he got sidetracked sometimes. And as, as when I listen to you guys, he's not, bash, he's not bashful in telling you what he was getting up to, you know. So, um, yeah, you, you can't, to be at the highest level at the best of your performance, you can't be treating yourself that way. Who, who, was he, who was he telling us that he took out, he used to take out all the time? One of the young rookies, I can't remember who it was. Uh, but he was telling us, you know, he's like, you know, early in his career. So, you know, we had drink cards. They just took him out and just said, you've got to be confident. Brad Wee, was it Williamson? Brad it, it might have been Brad Williamson. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, like I remember him and I were down in Melbourne for the All-Star game one year. And uh, we flew back to Townsville and we had to go to practice. And Corey was an All-Star performer in Melbourne, not on the court. And uh, we show up to, well, I show up to practice. I'm ready to go. I was pissed that I didn't win the three-point shootout. So I wanted to get back out on the floor. Uh, and everyone's like, where's Corey? I'm like, I'm sure he's on his way. He said he's coming. He walks in in sunglasses, like his custom T-shirts that him and Galen Young used to compete against. Who had the best T-shirt, <laughs> jeans, and, you know, some bands or pro keds or something on his feet. And he was just ready to sit down and Gleason looks at him and goes like, Corey, like, what are you doing? He's like, you think like I played yesterday in the all-star game, I'm not practicing today. <laughs> and he, he, you know, it just become a, a player coach relationship issue. And, uh, you know, he, he was doing things his way. Um, you mentioned Gleason there after his time with you in Townsville and then going to Melbourne and everything that went there, he's gone on to win five championships. With yep. the Wildcats. Have you enjoyed watching the success he's had? Have I enjoyed? Uh, like, no. <laughs> okay. How come? Like, uh, you know, like I, I had a great time plan for Trevor. Um, but everyone goes in their own direction. Um, so he goes in his direction. Um, I, I've gone in mine. Like, um, you know, like the, the Perth Wildcats are a successful franchise, um, you know, so uh, is, is it good to see him have success? Yes. But like, it's, it's not as if um, I've texted or like, I don't have a very close relationship with Gleason. Was it, was, was it close when you were playing? Did you enjoy playing for him? Oh, like, you know, he come in after they uh, fired Stacker. Um, and I played for him for three years. Um, you, you know, like, uh, I had a very good, I had a good working relationship with him. Like, um, he, he was a hard nosed coach, uh, obviously trying to create credibility in the NBL. And, you know, I was trying to finish my career on a high and all of that type of stuff. So, um, you know how it is. There's people you stay close with, other people who, you know, that they're just part of your life and life goes on, you know. So, um, like, it's unbelievable what Perth mm. has done. Don't mm. get me wrong. Like, you know, what they've done as a franchise, but, you know, it's it's been proven. Like, there's been a lot of people go through there that has had great success, you know. Ken, before we move away from Trevor Gleeson, Corey, the Crocs and Perth, Mm -hmm. And that game in, in, 20, in 2009, do you remember shielding Corey off the court 
at the end of that game? Like, did you feel like that place was going to explode and you guys were in danger? Uh, look, I, I didn't feel in danger. What I was actually uh, trying to be mindful of is Corey not doing something that would put um, his semi-final appearances in jeopardy. Um, you know, because he obviously motivated the Perth crowd. Mm-hmm. He won that battle. He, d- well, he didn't. You helped he, win that battle. He, he didn't. He didn't need to overstep his boundaries in a in a spare of the moment decision. You know. That that performance by you, 10, 10 from seventeen from three. I mean, you had a whole bunch of times as a player where you would have felt on fire. Yep. Your blog was JR on fire, for goodness sake. We've got to talk about the blog, Cam. We've got to circle back around there. But is that the night where you felt the best? Uh, yeah, like uh, just, just from three-point range, I would say. Um, you, you go back to that game in Canberra. Like I want to think I was 11 or 14 that night. That That felt really good. But obviously the moment and... Like Perth had just destroyed us that year, and for previous years in Perth, um, and and I don't think anyone had really given us much hope in that game with Perth. Um, but that's you know, like I I remember um, we were at shoot around, and Trevor put in this like gate play, mm-hmm. and it's the first three that I make of the game. So we just put that in now. Like that's that's what I mean. Is like you mm-hmm. know. I don't have a relationship with Trevor since I stopped playing for him, but like he knew that he needed to get me involved in the game. Otherwise we had no chance. So he put in that gate play and it worked the first, first time. And that's the first time I've ever run a gate play. But after shoot around, I, I practiced that because I was like, man, I got to make this shot. I got to get our team going. And sure enough, the play worked and it, you know, it just trickled on from there. And, um, like it it was a the one that i knew things were going good is when uh god the imports name slips my name from perth the long joker from tennessee um i had a step back right in front of carfino and gaze and like i was like horizontal i remember i couldn't see the rim and that sucker went in and that's when i was like this is going to be a pretty good night that's awesome. There was sorry, Cam. I just got to We talked Go to Drew. We talked to Drew recently about the art of getting buckets, right? And we have uh-huh. to kind of touch on that with you a little bit. That night, as you say, you're just cooking from range, and you're just like, I'm just letting it fly every time I get a little airspace. Other nights, it was two dribbles right, spin back to your left, fade away. How how did you go about it on any particular night to go? Well, where are my spots tonight? Uh, it it was it it just unfolded um like i i was i was really a routine guy uh like when i when i worked out or when i was working on uh my game i just knew that i could get to different spots and i didn't go into a game thinking i need to be doing this 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 or this i just let kind of unfold and who defends you really dictates a lot of that and um but then once you get into the flow of the game and your own rhythm, that's when it all kinds to come together. And you like, you just know you can get to a spot and you can just, the defense is putty in your hands as far as that's concerned. Um, But I never went into a game thinking, oh, tonight's for threes, tonight's for this or whatever. Just kind of let it unfold. You must've gone into a game every now and then going, this this guy cannot go. 
who, who could who just could not guard you? Oh, like come on. Well, okay, uh, at the at the Razorbacks when it was Rucker and me and we'd go against Drewy and Copes, like that that was good that was like good fun because um we played one game at Whitlam and I wanna say Drewy started on me and I wanna ha- I had like thirty or thirty two in the first half because Copeland was on uh, Rucker. So then Copeland comes out on me and they put someone else on Rucker. I forget who, but then they put uh, Drewy on Ben Thompson. And Ben Thompson starts cooking from three. And like, it was magical just listening to Copes give his own commentary of what was going on with the Tigers defense, you know? Oh, throwing his boy under the bus. <laughs> oh, it, it, but, but like, you know, like the minute you went over half court the other way, everyone's on eggshells wondering what's going to happen, trying to defend those guys. Right. But, you know, it's just one of those things that you remember. And like, it, like playing with Derek, um, we had a good synergy playing together. Um, so obviously Tigers and us were pretty free flowing types of teams. So it was easy to get into a groove. Like I'd hate to guess how many nights we all had 20 plus and it would have been someone else that would have influenced the game though. Coaching. Was it always something that you thought you're going to head down once you retired from playing? Uh, yes, there was a, there was a hot second where I thought doing what you guys would be maybe something. Um, You're too smart that, for this, man. Trust me. <laughs> <laughs> and too classy. Too yeah. You got, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, for sure. Um, you know, I, I'm always going to be involved in the game at, at some level. Uh, I've always been around it as a kid. I've, um, you know, the game's been good to me. I, I like, uh, I really enjoy being around people and trying to, afford opportunities that I was afforded um you know like painting a picture that something can get achieved if you just have a plan and 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 you're confident in yourself mm-hmm. do you have you mentioned it earlier about you know playing and you never missed any sleep because you're so confident in your abilities to be able to go and do what you do is it is it similar in the coaching ranks like yeah, you know, obviously you just roll in, know the work was there and jump on court and do your thing. How does it differ when you are kind of, you know, you've got some control, but not the ultimate control, of course, when you're, when you're the coach rather than the player. How do, you, how do you sleep? How do you prepare in games? Is the stress a lot more than when you were playing? You, you actually do worry about the game a lot more when you coach um, because the, one of the first things I realised is when you're when when you're in moments of games, because it, it's easy for people to highlight a game winner, but every game has different moments that you can really pull the game in your favor. Um, as a player, I, like you know, I, I think of sometimes when I had great third quarters or whatever. That that was the time that actually just took care of the game, mm-hmm. and you didn't have to worry about some fourth quarter heroics or something. So now I got to trust that some player on the floor has those instincts and hopefully we can put them in the position for that. But having the understanding of, of that moment in time and what that can be noticed, it's a player's game. Mm. And really as a coach, you're just putting the players in positions and you hope that they're successful and they have the belief that you're putting them in the right spots for them. So that's where you lose or you think about the game so much more 
is you want to make sure you're trying to give your team the best chance of success, but then, then you're hoping they can execute that and they believe in it as well. Have you had some guys like that? Was, was, was Drimic like that at Boise? Oh man, like Drimic, like, um, you know, I know, you know, his NBL career, you know, he's, he's figuring the professional stuff out, but man, talk about an elite competitor and at the college level, like unbelievable. Like we played Creighton when they had Doug McDermott and Drimic was a sophomore and he, he put his body on the line. He could mentally play games with guys. And um, he, he had a, he had a sense of the moment. Um, you, You know, Nick Duncan, who's, a name that many people in Australia basketball won't know, but he had a great junior career coming through with Dante Exum and he played a Boise state for us. And, um, you know, he had a great sense of the, the, the occasion. Um, and, and you like, for me, you really have to ride those guys when that moment is present. Um, you know, like, like that's, you talk about Andrew Gage, you talk about Leonard Copeland, that's what those that's what those guys do like they know when the game's there to be taken over and it's not necessarily in the fourth quarter it it like it could be at the start of the game mm-hmm. you know like how many times do you think Leonard Copeland come out and scored 10 points in the first 5 minutes of the game and the opposition's like man copes is on fire we're done he's gone for 50 and then drew he'll have 30 the game's done mm-hmm. you, you know as much hope you're like oh well we can get back from whatever we are down but like that that's the like that's the part of the game that i like really like to think about and try and instill and get guys to sense because yeah it's a 40 minute game but like man you can play mind games with the other team a lot of the time throughout when you keep an eye on the nbl from from over there which i know you do um who do you see that in that's that's i mean bryce cotton obviously but who else uh, so like I, I actually played against Casper Ware. Well, I coached against Casper Ware when he was at Long Beach. Um, and man, I watched, I watched that guy and I was like, that guy's going to be close to an NBA player. And, um, what he's done in the NBL, like he, you know, there's some nights where he goes, what, nine for 30, where you're like, man, like, come on. But he's, he's a guy that's capable of taking over a game. Um, you know, they're, they're the guys that get, get me going. Uh, I, I didn't watch much of Jerome Randall, but like, obviously whether he was a good or a bad teammate or whatever, he, he had that ability that would capture people and he could win a game out of nothing. Um, obviously what Machado does at Cairns, mm. um, like I know Cam Oliver cause I coached against Cam Oliver, like that guy, he's NBA talent like probably the most consistent pro year he's put together, but like, yeah, Machado's not a huge scorer, but he allows those other guys on that team to function that the way they can. Um, so it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily always have to be with scoring like Bogut. Like mm. I know, I know Kim and homicide have their beef or whatever you want to call their relationship. Um, but like Bogut couldn't score a point and his team's still going to, be pretty good like the Australian team Andre mm-hmm. run a lot of the stuff through him um, like guys that just understand how to put their footprint on the game and however mm-hmm. they want to put it you know they're the guys that I get attracted to 
NBL head coach? Is that something you would, you do think about or aspire to or like the idea of coming back to Australia and, and having control of one of these franchises? Like, uh, as far as Australian basketball and me coaching, like, I got to play for my country. I played mo- the majority of my career in my home country. So uh, when I got done, I tried to make coaching work at home, um, but I had to come to the U.S. Um, now, n- not all is bad with that because, um, you know, I got to watch Chris Anstey uh, go from player to coach and the one thing I just took from that is you, you probably have to distance yourself um, from being a player and a coach. So now I look at it and go, man, like I've distanced myself. Like I, I could come back, like I went to a couple NBL practices last year when I was back home and, you know, like people like, well, what's this guy in here doing watching? You know, like I don't have many guys left that would associate with me as a player in the league, which... Uh, I think that is that's good, you know. So fair to say that right now you feel you're better equipped to coach in the NBA than you would have been five, six, seven years ago. Correct? Oh, not not even close to right. it. You know, like yeah, I, yeah. I'm I'm a I'm a better oh, coach. I yeah. I've distanced no, I, myself. I, I know, but so I I want the answer. So do you want to coach in the NBL? Have you Look, thrown uh, your hat in the ring? Have you had some conversations? No, now now this is this is where I may be. Some people may say arrogant or whatever. Um, but this is just how I've lived my life. If I'm good enough, someone will reach out mm. at some stage, mm. you know, but no, no one has ever contacted me about coaching in the NBL. Now that I'm going to say in Australia, most people think I'm comfortable and happy coaching college basketball, which I, I like, I love helping kids that age and developing them and telling them some home truths about professional sport isn't as easy as you think it is, you know? Have you ever been to Tasmania? <laughs> yeah, the National Under-16s was there about four years ago. Nice place. <laughs> Is it still on lockdown? <laughs> no, no, they're up and about. <laughs> oh, working beautifully, Liam, working beautifully. <laughs> well, we did raise this, didn't we, Liam, on NBL Overtime about two months ago, do you think it was? Are we going to talk this into existence? We are going to talk. I, I, we already tried. We have started it. Well, so we've started the conversation around John really coming back and coaching. So we're just going to continue to chat about it until there's no more franchises coming into the league. <laughs> it won't be. It, that's when the conversation will stop. We know he looks good in green. Yes. <laughs> we've, we've been there. We've seen that. <laughs> I, I, I don't know whether Anthony Stewart would sign off on that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, just, just, just quickly, uh, you mentioned, of course, uh, you know, the collegiate system and, and how the last, uh, and, and so much uncertainty about what's happening, of course, with uh, college sports going forward. How, how have you handled as a coach? How have your students been handling it? Of course, the seniors didn't get the ending that they probably yeah. would have liked. And of course, with graduations and all the rest of it. So how's it all sort of been? And, and what is the path going forward? Do you have any clarity about what the next couple of months look for, uh, look towards for your team? Yeah, look, disappointing for the seniors. Um, we didn't even get into our conference um, uh, tournament play we were two hours away from playing our game and it all got shut down so disappointing for the seniors as far as moving forward we we return a very good talented team we've added some nice pieces um, so I'm excited about what we have coming back we probably preseason number one in our conference um, as far as clarity uh, regarding the season and that uh, right now, everyone has the answer, but there's no answer. Um, you know, everyone throws in their two cents right now. So 
I'll just be excited when we can get our own players back to campus, uh, getting them into the gym, because that means we're actually moving in a positive direction. Um, you know, California is probably the slowest moving state with all of this, um, which is a, is a good thing because we're getting to learn a lot from everyone else. Um, so, uh, look, I am certainly not even close to being an expert on any of this stuff. So I like, I just live what I get told to do, but I'm excited about our team for sure. I'm just sorry. I'm just just checking real estate in Hobart. I was just going to fire a link from the table through. Just, I just, have but just, just in case. Just in case. All right? you, 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 better, you better Google where I live right now. Santa Barbara. That's, well, a, tough, that's a tough spot to beat, let me tell you. I, I, well, because here, I have no doubt, here in the NBL overtime crew, because Liam gets a commission off Kendall Stevens because he found a loophole where he can play as a uh, naturalised Aussie and he just re-signed. So I, I'm like, I've got to earn a bit of extra cash. So if I'm able to get a, you know, a 0.01% on a Tassie and, in the near future. And Hobart is a very nice place. We were down there for the Blitz last year and down by the wall let, yeah. let me ask you, can, can, can Kendall Stevens uh, caterpillar like his dad could? We haven't seen that yet. Yeah. But that's, yeah, that is that's very nice footage that sits in the NBL vault. <laughs> yes, yes. Oh, oh, man. His, his dad was a very good player, very underrated player for his short time in the NBL. No doubt about it. Hey, uh, anything else, Liam, do we need to hit him? Like, we don't need to sign the contract papers now, so we'll just put them to the side. Anything else before we uh, I get back to beautiful weather. Uh, you just broke up, I didn't, but uh, I, well, let's just close on this. JR on fire. The blog. Uh-huh. A guy, Rodney, Anson, Rodney Anderson, won't let me. Well, I won't hear the end of it if we don't bring it up. We don't talk about the podcast. Uh-huh. Um, you're going to bring it back at some stage? It's, I'm sure you're still paying the. The money for, to have it sit because I went back and read back some of it last night. <laughs> some some good good stuff, huh? Great stuff. I, I was I was a great English uh, student back in the day at Harristown High. That's for sure. Good times. You enjoyed? Did you enjoy doing that? Oh look, look, uh, ab- absolutely. Um, Trailblazer. Uh, yeah, like I, I I forget how I even got into it. Uh, my wife and I were sitting around in Townsville. Um, and, and, you know, look, I, I was a non-drink when I played. I didn't really do too much besides play hoops. Um, so I just, like, I probably read someone's in the U.S. and was like, oh, let me start it over here and see what happens. And, yeah, it, it, was, it was fun. But that, that's certainly, that, that ship has sailed. That's well and truly <laughs> sailed. Let's that's, that's not, that's not say it's sailed for sure. Just quickly, you mentioned you're a non-drinker when you play. Has coaching forced you to have a couple of red wines every now and then, has it? Uh, I, I'm a good social drinker with my wife. <laughs> Best way to be. Hey, uh, yeah. always fun having a chat. Always a blast oh, to look man. back at. Liam and I have had so much fun uh, going back and look at these old games. And we we're joined by uh, old NBL legends who've had a huge part, not just in the games we've watched, but careers and where they are at now. It's so much fun and a privilege for us. So thanks for joining us. And uh, we'll have you in NBL overtime studio when you sign that deal in uh, 12 months or so, whatever it is. Thanks. <laughs> no, look, thank you very much. Uh, you guys are doing a great job uh, from a distance. I, I check in with what you guys do every week. Uh, so keep it up and it's great to see you. Liam. I will see you. And hopefully Homicide rolls in. Hopefully there's no NBL All-Star game on Monday. So we expect him to be ready to go Tuesday for NBL overtime. Until next week, we'll see you then.